listening to the Real Issue Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, this week has been a very interesting week in the fact that um, we've been following the progress of a dear brother in the Lord and Ravi Zacharias. And my daughter asked me a question yesterday that sparked what I want to share with you, something that I haven't really done since this podcast began periodically back in 2011, 2010, and even now. But what I want to do is I want to dovetail the influence of, one, how I got into apologetics. And I want to tell you my story. This is kind of interesting because I want to share with you my story and how I got involved in apologetics and the fact that there are some major apologists that have influenced my, my walk, my methodology, my approach to conversing with people, none, what's the words, I'm kind of lost for words and what I want to share with you, the fact that Robbie Zacharias has really played a major role He's played a major role in, in our ministry. And, of course, we got the letter from RZIM. We're friends with RZIM as we are Southern Evangelical Seminary. So we are saddened by the fact that Ravi's health is deteriorating. And, of, of course, it's going to be a great loss to the apologetics community. But, you know, it's going to be an opportunity for us apologists to carry a second torch of course, many of you know that I did a show uh, a while back on uh, Dr. Norman Geisler. I mentioned Dr. Norman Geisler in a blog post. And, of course, Ravi has not gone on to glory. He hasn't gone on to uh, the fact that his tapestry has not gone through the keyhole uh, to see the whole gallery of the impact of his life. But he has influenced, as, as a colleague of his and mine, uh, who's gone home to be with the Lord a few years ago, about three years ago, and Nabil Qureshi. And, you know, the impact of men who have longer leashes, in contrast to us $1 apologists, we are influenced and greatly indebted to... Uh, the likes of Dr. Norman Geisler, Ravi Zacharias, and yes, uh, a friend who was a little bit closer uh, uh, when I had gone and done one of the uh, apologetics conference. I had participated in one of the apologetics conference when Nabil was a youth minister down in Chesapeake, Virginia. But uh, the question is, uh, I want to share with you today is how I got involved in apologetics and what all this does, all this, how all this dovetails. And, um, of course, as a teenage skeptic, I was always asking people, why you are a Christian? Why is Christianity true? And the fact that I couldn't get answers. In fact, nobody's really given me answers as to why they believe Christianity was true, other than the fact of their personal testimony, which was reflective of the, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And for that, you know, I'm grateful. I don't ever discount the, the inner witness. And one of the things that I've, you know, my wife and I were talking a while back, I'm going to move away from asking a question, why are you a Christian? And please don't give me a personal testimony because your personal testimony is important. But, you know, that just basically tells me that you are a Christian, that you 
are um, a believer, you have an inner witness of the Holy Spirit if you are truly saved, if you've repented of your sins and you've come to place your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You know, that inner witness is important. But see, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know what made Christianity truer than, say, Buddhism, Islam, and all the other religions that were out there. So when I was saved in 1980, those questions still abided with me. They hung with me for a while, and I wanted to know why this newfound faith was worth believing. Socrates, you know, once said that the unexamined life is a life not worth living. I took it to the next step in that uh, the unexamined faith is a faith not worth believing. And as a result, I ended up going to a Christian bookstore in Brockton, Massachusetts, and finding a book in two volumes. It was Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And of course, I had my, if, if I still had my, both of my volumes for what I had back then and the amount that I, I read, read it, I couldn't put it down. What I, what I read back then, it would have looked like a rainbow study Bible uh, because Josh McDowell's book now is, is a thick uh, volume and, of course, he's expanded on it and everything. And Josh was really the, the first evidential apologist that I had ever run into. And then, of course, not too long after that, I ended up going and picking up a book by the late, great Walter Martin. Of course, Walter was, um, he was still alive then. That was the book, The Kingdom of the Cults. And I had an, a fascination, and I was involved in the countercult movement for quite some time, probably until... Uh, the 1990s, uh, from the 80s to the 90s, where I was involved in countercult research. I've, I had connections with uh, Watchman Fellowship, which I still do with my friend James Walker and, and others. And while I was in seminary, well, actually, let me go back a little bit because it was cult evangelism for uh, a little while. And I had a friend by the name of Will who uh, was friends with an attorney in Shawnee, Oklahoma, who wanted to interview me off tape for a, um, uh, a testimony of uh, what, what cult brainwashing was. So, I, you know, here I am. I'm in the, in the, in the, in the cult, in the countercult realm answering questions. And, of course, not too long after that, I stumbled at the bookstore in Norman, Oklahoma, in this green book, and a friend of mine, Greg, who was one of the managers at that store, asked me if I ever heard of this book, Christian Apologetics. Of course, if you're in the apologetic community and the title of the apologet Christian Apologetics book, you'll know that that book was written by Dr. Norman Geisler, and I read that for fun. Now, some people would think that that was rather sadistic because it is deep reading. It is intellectual reading. It is, you know, and I, I read it for fun. You know, I, I, mind you, I, I had Josh McDowell's books. I had picked up some more Josh McDowell's books on, on uh, comparative religions and, and all of that fun stuff. But that first book by Dr. Norman Geisler, I was launched into the wonderful world of classical apologetics. So from there, like in the 1986 to 1990, 
Uh, I was involved in, in, in that realm from Oklahoma Baptist University to, um, you know, Christian apologetics um, to <laughs> countercult apologetics to working, working through that and just reading things by Josh McDowell, ultimately finding Dr. Geisler's book and, and being immersed in, in that. And then in 1991, I was off to seminary. My leash started getting a little bit longer. I, I took courses. I took my regular MDiv courses. And a lot of the electives that I took were basically apologetics in their bent. You know, things like Christian ethics. Of course, Christian ethics, you know, you can go and look at it just from a survey perspective. But I took it a little bit deeper. It was rather funny that Dr. Mike Spradlin, when it came to our practical mission, I started understanding the fact of the culture with the whole idea that uh, the practical track type evangelism was not working in in the in the one-on-one conversations with people, and when I shared when I shared my testimonies, I, I shared how the person wasn't ready to hear the gospel because they had objections that we needed to set down, we needed to answer, and uh, of course that started scratching some heads with with uh, the practical Finian type approach to evangelism that many are involved in trying to drag a person to the foot of the cross in 15 minutes or less. I just wasn't into that. I didn't think it was biblical. I didn't agree with it. But at the same time, I was able to go and fulfill my requirement. So during the time at uh, Trinity Baptist Church, I was involved with teaching on the evening classes, and some of those were things in like an apologetics and understanding how to defend your faith, and God allowed us to be blessed with that. I graduated seminary in 1997, and shortly after that, I was involved in teaching at the Hudson Valley Bible Institute, which is an offshoot of the Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary's uh, Northeast Branch in Schenectady, New York. And I taught an entry-level cult evangelism class. I taught a worldviews class, and I taught a um, a doctrine of God class and defending the existence of God for our students. So I taught that, and then they brought me on board shortly after, where it was a um, I was an adjunct professor. One year I taught Baptist history. Another semester I taught wor- uh, world religions, and of course I taught that from a perspective of understanding understanding the philosophy behind it but I had already started hearing a program that I was very very fascinated with hearing I, and this was like in 1993 90, 1991 somewhere 91 92 93 I was listening to the radio before church one morning and there was a program that was one of opened up with uh, Johann Sebastian Bach's uh, a theme from his music. And we would hear the interlude buffer, and it would be this articulate guy. I, I never, ever heard of him. And the title of the program was Let My People Think. And I was very fascinated by it. 
And it was a man by the name of Ravi Zacharias. Ravi was a, a, a regular mainstay in our family, my wife and I at the time. And it was quite fascinating to listen to him and just learn as we were listening. We got the tapes, we were recording the programs so that we could listen to them over and over and over and over again and then pick up some of the things that we might have missed on the first listen. The, the beauty of all of this as far as my personal training in seminary and then listening to uh, Ravi Zacharias, I was actually teaching classes at the Calvary Chapel Bible Institute in Albany at the time until they went by way of word faith. And then I ended up having to leave, and that was right around 1996 when my daughter was being born. So my daughter made, a, made it for me a good, a, a good out for me. But I was teaching uh, apologetics classes. So I got involved in apologetics in, in the 1980s and then continue on and took advantage of teaching, uh, of teaching uh, at the formal level, at the church level, and then running into Ravi Zacharias and then listening to some of the programs and stuff, and then also going to Speculator New York once to go hear him speak there. But what the, the fun part of it was with those meetings that, that were there is that right around 1994, I ended up being involved, invited on, onto a committee that was labeled for the event RZIM Capital District. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that there's a committee of people that RZIM, which is Ravi Zacharias, Zacharias International Ministries, that were going to be working hand-in-hand -hand with RZIM to bring a speaker from RZIM to the area to do a series of meetings. And the meetings happened to be five nights with Ravi Zacharias. Starlight Theater, RPI, SUNY Albany, and uh, I think there were three nights at the at the Starlight that we attended. And w the the fun part was getting a chance to meet him very very briefly because everybody else wanted to meet him as well. But I had a chance to sit down with him. We had a chance to visit with the team and everything that it was involved. He was involved in that. It was it was pretty fun. I got a chance to get to know this man who would be touching the hearts and minds and lives of people all around the globe. He made the world look smaller. You know, when it comes to the fact that you are like your teachers, the two teachers, when it comes to cults, actually the three teachers that were greatly influential for me as far as teaching apologetics, depending on whether it was the cults, or just general apologetics issues and topics, I would say it would be Dr. Walter Martin, Dr. Norman Geisler, and Ravi Zacharias. Now, when we come back, I want to share with you a little bit more of how Ravi impacted us and some of the things that I have learned from him as we have ventured out into uh, the university settings when I've talked to students 
and I'll share with you some things that have happened there when we come back. Hello, this is Rob Lundberg from The Real Issue Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the show this week. We'd like to ask you to do us a favor and go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever platform you're listening to, and give a review. Give us five stars and help us move up the review scale so people will get more exposure to The Real Issue Podcast and The Real Issue Apologetics Ministry. We'll be more than happy to share with you more about what the show is all about and what our ministry is all about. Also, be sure to subscribe to The Real Issue Podcast so you'd be able to listen to more shows and get more equipped as we go out to give our world heaven. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. seeks to give credible answers to curious questions. What's the best college prep Christian worldview camp out there? I have the privilege of speaking with some great speakers at Summit Ministries, and I'm so thankful for what Summit has done to reach out to our youngsters and to prepare them to be college ready. I want to encourage you, if you've never heard of Summit Ministries, and if you've got some kids that are growing up, to really get them ready for college by sending them off to a summer intensive with Summit Ministries. What I love about Summit is it brings together world-class speakers. It brings a bunch of kids together, and it hits on a whole array of topics that allows the kids to leave with a crystallized vision of what the Christian hope offers for the world, what the Christian message is for the world. It's one of these camps that kids get together and they talk about what really matters. One of my mentors, Robert Lewis, has said before when he was raising his kids, this question would sort of sit before him in his mind. Well, what question am I talking about? Well, first, let me tell you. He said, I would picture my kids driving away in a U-Haul truck one day, and as they drove off with a truck full of stuff, I was haunted by the question, what are they really leaving with? In other words, are they just leaving with some material things or are they going into the world with a worldview? Are they college ready? Are they prepared to go into the world and make a difference for Jesus Christ? If you are looking for a place to send your kids that can provide a transformative vision for their life and help them to see that Christianity is the real deal, then look no further than this great ministry called Summit Ministries. It's a historical accident. Buddha taught the same sort of thing. So did Confucius. So did Mohammed. They all teach pretty much the same stuff. Can we really say what's right and what's wrong? There are a lot of different religions, a lot of different pathways that people this take This business God. of Jesus died for your sins. Well, I don't believe it. Maybe we are all attuned to a frequency that vibrates through the universe that is what we've determined to be God. It's just... 
Many of the voices that you hear in our culture range from truth being relative to all religions say the same thing, or maybe that God doesn't exist. At the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry, we help churches, college groups, student groups, and young people answer those challenges. If you'd like more information about the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry, contact us by calling 540-419-2162 or email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. That's 540-419-2162 or email at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. You know, whenever you start understanding why Christianity is true, you just can't keep it to yourself. And folks, that's what's really happened to me. And as a result, you know, you have the confidence of the Christian faith, the fact of God exists, the truth exists, that God exists, that miracles are possible, that God has spoken, that the Bible is credible and miracles are possible, that that what Jesus taught was the truth and that what Jesus teaches is true in the fact that he resurrected from the dead. He proved that he was God in human flesh, contrary to what some preachers preach, like Bill Johnson that says that Jesus was just a man. He wasn't just a man. He's fully God and fully man, but I won't chase that rabbit right now. You know, when you start understanding these things, you really come to grow in your faith. You come to understand that people have objections. And before that they can hear the gospel, they really need those objections answered. Give you an example. I've got a coworker that I won't mention gender or anything like that, just in case they're listening. But I asked them a very important question. If there was a question that you wanted to ask God, a question that was really, really nagging you, what would that question be? And that person said, why am I an addict? Can you imagine that type of question? Well, you know, folks, there's people today that are actually hurting, that are hurting, and they just don't need trite biblical answers. They need people to care. And this is what I think we really need in our churches today. And folks, this is where apologetics comes in. And I've, of course, I've been sharing with you, I've shared with you a little bit of the story. I'm thinking of about going and putting uh, this whole thing together and, and creating my story on how I got involved in apologetics and putting it online because I think it's very, very important because I really believe that there are some people that will see us post a podcast. They'll look at it, and I'll ask a question, and they'll answer the question without listening to the show. I don't want you answering anything unless you listen to the show. I want people to comment on what they hear. But I've shared with you my heart uh, on how I got involved in apologetics, and what I want to do now is I want to take this a little bit further, and then... 
Um, one of the most interesting things that that really happened in the transition from my going my under, going from my undergrad to seminary was I, I ended up graduating from Oklahoma Baptist University in 1990 December walked the stage in 91 and ended up going August of 91 to Mid America's Baptist Mid America Baptist Theological Seminary's Northeast Branch and what a proving ground that is but when you when you um, get involved in the realm of apologetics, I cannot think of a better seminary than Southern Evangelical Seminary. Had I started a year later, when when Southern when Dr. Geisel and Ron Rhodes had put the had started the seminary up at up at uh, Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, I may have ended up there. I don't know. Um, that was a best kept secret for those that are in the Charlotte area. But we're friends of the seminary. We're friends with RZIM. You know, one of the interesting things about this as well as about my history is the fact that I went to the 1995 Evangelical Theological Society uh, annual meeting, and the theme was on apologetics. I was invited by two of my seminary professors to join ETS, Drs. David Shackelford and Dr. Van McLean, who have been very influential in my life as far as the theological and even the apologetics with Dr. Van, um, I ended up going to a session that Dr. Geisler was given on the defense of the resurrection. He was reading a paper uh, calling Trinity Evangelical Seminary Ted's in Deerfield, Illinois, to fire Murray J. Harris for his view on, uh, his view on the resurrection body of Jesus. Well, I ended up crossing paths with Dr. Geisler and had a delightful conversation with him and um, I just asked him some questions. And in my conversation with him, there were some things that we talked a little bit in detail. And I think he was with Ralph McKenzie, who he co-wrote the book Evangelicals and Catholics in the Third, in the third Millennium. They wrote that book together. But... He said something that was really remarkable, because, mind you, I had already been listening to Ravi Zacharias, and he said that during the conversation, he told me that I had been listening. He could tell that I had been listening to Ravi Zacharias on the radio or something like that, based on something I had said. Now, I wasn't quite sure how to take that. I will tell you this, that we do have a tendency to imitate or model those who were taught by. And I have been taught by, I think, two of the top apologists. And of course, I like Francis Schaeffer too. And I, I'm, I'm a, I like a whole different angles of apologetics because that helps your toolbox. I wasn't looking to be another Robbie. I wasn't looking to be a Dr. Geisler. I wasn't looking to be any of those who I had listened to. But one thing is for certain, that the ministries of both Dr. Geisler and Ravi Zacharias have played a huge, huge role in my venture in apologetics and evangelism in our postmodern culture. I started seminary in 1991. Now, like I said, that was the year before Southern Evangelical started in 92 by Drs. Geisler and Rose. And um, like I said, I don't know what would have happened 
had I graduated and then learned about the Southern Evangelical Seminary and what all that was about. But, you know, that's that's okay. God is sovereign. God is totally in control. But I was a, when I was in seminary, I had, I had some blessings. Uh, you know, listening to Ravi Zacharias on the radio and then also some practical experiences. One, one uh, weekend, uh, one Tuesday night, a Thursday night, I was at Union College to present a, a, a talk on the resurrection. I was invited by Paul Copan, who was a student minister at First Presbyterian in Schenectady, New York, before he ended up going with Ravi and now down at Pledge, down the, uh, in West Palm, West Palm in Florida as a professor of Pledge and Chair, holding the Pledge and Chair of Philosophy there. Uh, I started teaching at the baccalaureate level of the Hudson Valley Bible Institute. I mentioned that to you. There was an interesting uh, proving ground for me. One night in 1998, I think it was, where I went to Fulton Montgomery Community College. I was teaching a back. I was teaching at Hudson Valley Bible Institute. One of my students had invited me to go and. And just basically answer questions. I was working nights at Albany Med at, as a night shift supervisor, and I, I took the night off. And the interesting thing was, it turned out I ended up going and writing six pages, both sides, legal size paper on why I believe Christianity to be true. Why I did that, I don't. I don't know. I did it just before I went, and um, I just like like it just peeled off my pen onto paper. And come to find out, it turned out to be a proving ground, so to speak, and dealing with professors that are hostile to Christianity and students that were inquisitive, where I gave a talk, ended up giving a talk and not just answering questions, and then also being challenged by some of the speakers that the professor had as the moderator and got invited back. We ended up moving to Virginia not too long, at like two years later. And then I also had the opportunity with the invite of Dr. Van McLean. I mentioned him earlier. Um, we ended up going out towards Cornell University and speaking to students out there where I gave four to five presentations, I think it was. And that was, that was rather fun. Uh, that was everything from truth, the existence of God, Jesus and resurrection, and why I believe Christianity to be true. To be true, and there were students from Cornell University and some of the community colleges there. But all in all, the approach that I had taken would be one that I would be modeling and embracing a, a five-part rubric that was taught. That is that is taught by Ravi Zacharias, and of course. The, the first point of that is the fact that the highest pursuit is truth. And the fact that we know that something is true because the truth corresponds to reality and it coheres with the facts. And that there are um, some angles by which we could determine truth fact by logical consistency, empirical adequacy, experiential relevance. And then, of course, it brings it now down to the, the four questions to evaluate a worldview of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And I'll talk to, about, to you about those in a future show. If You might be able to dig back into some of the other shows that we've gone and done on it if they're still online. If they were on um, Podcast Garden, they are no longer online, so that would be something that we'll share with you a little bit more. 
And then, of course, you go from the, the fact of truth, truth corresponding to reality, cohering with facts. You have logical consistency, empirical adequacy, experiential relevance. The four questions for evaluating a worldview of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where do I come from? Why am I here? How do you know right from wrong? And where's man going after this life is over? And then you, you can go and evaluate basically five major disciplines dealing with knowledge, reality, God, the foundation of morality, and man. You want the formal uh, one-word names for those. You're talking about epistemology for knowledge, metaphysics for reality, theology for God, ethics for the foundation for morality, and then anthropology for man. And then also, in my conversations with people, one of the things that Ravi taught me was the fact that people like to argue or make their case or converse. And a lot of times when somebody is defending their case, there are three levels of argumentation. And they, those levels of argumentation are um, basically you uh, level one, level two, and level three. You argue from level one, you illustrate from level two, and you... Uh, apply at level three. Now, what does that look like? Well, level one, you're using uh, argument, you're using rhetoric, you're using logic, you're using some of the key thinking disciplines that, that come along the way. You, when you illustrate, you're using things like the dramas and the art and the media that's out there to be able to, because every, everything that you and I see has a, has a worldview. And Ravi taught me that as well. And then, of course, whenever you are applying something, you're bringing it down to the what he calls the kitchen table talk level. But, folks, as I mentioned earlier, that Ravi has had a huge influence on just not just in that approach that I shared with you, but it's with the ability to converse with people. Folks, we have to know how to converse with people. And we have to know how to converse with people that disagree with us and you know giving them a, a drive-by type evangelistic approach doesn't uh, does not work it it is basically a drive-by evangelism that is like you know basically ganging up on a person to go and share with them the gospel so that you can get credit for a course or that you can uh, get credit thinking that you're going to get a notch in your stick for getting somebody in the kingdom of heaven the, the only caveat to that would be maybe creating a, a, a false convert. But then again, only God the Holy Spirit knows. So I, I'm not going to say either way. But there is a key ingredient that, was, that is modeled in Ravi's ministry uh, with some of my friends like Abdu Murray uh, and, of course, Nabil when he was there, uh, John Jarogi, uh, who is now back home in his home in Africa, some of those men uh, are examples of, and of course, I think of Vince Vitale and um, others that are there, Amy Orr Ewing, Michael Ramsden, Stuart McAllister. These people all model the, the, what Ravi models, and that is the ethic of love. You know, that, that ethic is the key ingredient that is modeled, and it should be modeled, I believe, by every Christian wanting to go and share their faith with anybody in a conversational style. You know, Jesus first loved us. We know that Jesus 
first died for us, demonstrating that love for us. But there are some angles to this, some angles to this kind of love, or how it is actually applied, that I think are very important. First off, when you talk about love for the person, you talk about love for the person who is created in the image and likeness of God. Secondly, you have to love the person with an understanding that we need to separate the objection from the person making the objection. The person has the objection. That, that is the objection that is clouding their, their coming to faith in Christ. The Australians call it bush clearing. We are clearing the bushes for people to be able to see Jesus clearly. Michael Ramston said it pretty, pretty well as, well, apologetics is not creating a dose of confusion to make the gospel sound more profound. It is clearing the rubble. It's clearing the rubble away so that people can get a clear view of who Jesus is and see the beauty of him and, and the gospel. So we need to understand that loving the person with an understanding that we need to separate the objection from the person making the objection. And then thirdly, love for the person that is in need of the gospel. See, folks, apologetics is not making yourself looking smart, thinking that you can go and answer every tough question that comes on the line. That's where apologetics, apologists are jerks. I'm, I, I, there's no other way of putting it. You have to take into consideration that apologetics is about evangelism. And evangelism is the highest call of the Christian church. But the problem is the Christian church is involved in anti-intellectualism. And I'll share with you a show on that. Maybe I'll do that next week and how we got to where we are today. But when you think of it from the person who's creating the image and likeness of God, the Imago Dei, the fact that the person has the objections that their worldview has muddied the waters for them to where they are not seeing Jesus clearly. And of course, the church has something to do with that as well. And then loving the person because they are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, that should be the goal of apologetics, plain and simple. So I come to the table with a classical model of apologetics, the fact that truth exists. And of course, people today don't think truth exists. The fact that if truth exists, then God exists. And, of course, we have the classical arguments for the existence of God. We have the historical, historical bibliographical-type approach to defending the Bible and the fact that Jesus is God in human flesh and that God shows himself as triune and the fact that, that, that Christ did miracles, the, the miracles are possible, and the fact that what Jesus taught is true. All that is part and parcel of the classical model and more. But when it comes to talking to people, the greatest thing that I've learned from Ravi Zacharias is how to talk to a person and demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ by which to be able to demonstrate the fact of Christianity being true. Not just loving the person to love the person into, the, into hell. That's what a lot of people are doing today with a false gospel. Giving somebody a cold water, working in social services, and not going and sharing the gospel. The goal should be the gospel, but folks, we need to change the way we do evangelism. And Ravi Zacharias is a demonstration of touching millions 
and how he has impacted this apologist's life. And, and I don't believe any other way that it could have happened but by God. So this past Friday, we received the email from uh, Sarah Davis, who was Sarah Zacharias Davis. And, of course, many of you have probably heard, if you pay attention to what's going on out there, that Robbie has been discharged from MD Anderson in Houston. And he's gone home to Atlanta. And the whole thing of it is, is that they are grateful for the team uh, that cared for him, the medical teams. But the cancer that Ravi has is inoperable. They can't do anything more. That uh, after many weeks of separation, Sarah says, my family is anxious to spend time together. So are also uh, our family. We love you and grateful to share these thin places with you. Thank you for what each of you do to faithfully support my dad's work and calling in advance to, for the cause of evangelism around the world. See, Ravi's goal is evangelism undergirded by apologetics. We know that God has purposed and numbered our days, and only uh, he knows how many more that Ravi, have, Ravi has that will experience on this earth. One day, sooner likely, we will be serving uh, without the, our beloved founder, uh, and, but know that his love and legacy will convict and inspire us to service of his Lord even greater than what we have seen before. And, of course, the letter goes on. Um, Ravi, when that day comes, my brother, Ravi G., you'll be sorely missed. But, brother, if somehow or another you get a chance to hear this podcast, you have been a great influence. And we love you. And we thank God for you. So with that, pray for Ravi. Pray for his comfort. I, I learned in listening to one of his talks that he has a brother who's a medical doctor in pain management. So, I'm sure he's getting pointers. Pray for his wife, Margie. They just, separate, they just celebrated 48 years. Pray for Sarah and Naomi, his daughters, and then Nathan. They have families of their own, and Sarah and Naomi are actively involved in RZIM. Pray for uh, RZIM, uh, the ministry. Uh, apparently, not too long ago, they had a meeting before Ravi actually got sick on planning on what would happen should the Lord take Ravi uh, sooner. Michael Ramson is the president. He has been uh, elected president of RZIM. I couldn't think of a better man to be able to lead RZIM in Ravi's stead. But for those of us in the apologetics community, Dr. Geisler has passed, and we're carrying his torch. And I've got another arm, and I plan on carrying Ravi's legacy as well. So thank you for listening to the show today. It's been rather trans, uh, transparent on my part, but it, it's, it's coming, and I'll probably create a doc uh, sharing a little bit more about my, my journey in apologetics and how it got all started. 
But as you go out this week, if you're able to go out this week, I know that we're quarantined still and all, and some states are opening up. Uh, I want to let you know that uh, we're thankful for you for listening to our show. And we're thankful uh, for each and every one of you for your endeavors in sharing the gospel with people, defending the faith, and well, if you do have any questions, you can reach out to us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com if you have any questions or comments about what you hear today. But as you go out, we pray that you will take into the heart some of the things that we've shared with you on this show today. But as you do go out, make sure you go out and do one thing, but make sure your goal is to go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week, Lord willing, and Lord bless.